The Pursuit of Happiness series is designed to have each of us focus or refocus our minds upon what the Scriptures teach about the purpose for which God has placed us here. Because if we understand that purpose and pursue it, happiness results. The way to be truly and deeply happy, and most of you know that joy is actually the biblical term because it doesn't depend on circumstances as happiness as we popularly define it so often does, but I'm using happiness in the way the Bible uses joy. And the way to be truly joyful, deep satisfaction in your life and with what you're doing with your life is to align your life with what Christ has placed us here for. And so over these last few weeks, I've been trying to focus and refocus on us on that. And in part one of this series, we looked at the source of happiness. The source of happiness is Christ himself. And we asked the question, can Jesus really make me happy? And we tried to show that he claims that he can. And I tried to demonstrate, not only by what I taught, but by the intensity with which I taught it, that I actually believe he can. And that he is in my own life and in the lives of of many of you. The source of true happiness, then, is Christ and our participation in the eternal mission to which he has called us. Now, last week, we transitioned to part two. Top of page six, you see it says, says part two or section two, the practice of happiness. So the source of happiness is Christ and the mission to which he's called us, and now there is the practice of happiness. And we spent last week just looking at the first heading there, where's the field? That is, where is this pursuit to take place. And I made the case last week, and if you weren't here, then I encourage you to listen online, that Jesus says that our purpose in his mission is to be fulfilled in his church, because his church is the means through which he is carrying out his work in his world. I'm going to elaborate then on that beginning on page six. So let me start by asking you something I alluded to last week. Whose dream are you chasing? Last weekend was the dream cruise. And we talk about the American dream, or our dream vacation, or our dream house, and I said all that last week. So is that the stuff you're dreaming about? You know, your next exotic vacation? Retiring to Hawaii? The next cool car you can buy? I mean, is that really what life's about? What is your dream? Let me, let me try to focus that and focus your thinking on that by relating a couple of stories from the world of business. There was a guy who was a uh, utensil salesman in Manhattan a few decades ago, kitchen utensils, including uh, coffee makers, coffee filters, and that kind of stuff. And this guy in Manhattan kept getting these orders from a little outfit on the West Coast. And they kept ordering more and more stuff because they were growing in their part of the world, of the country. And this salesman wondered what was going on with these people. Every time he talked to them on the phone, they were just geeked about what they were doing out there. And what they were doing was making coffee. And they were on a mission to make the best cup of coffee anybody could make anywhere. 
And they kept buying all sorts of utensils to test and to try to perfect the cup of coffee. He was so interested, he said, I've got to go out there and visit with these guys. He made a trip, he went out there. He came away, so moved by their enthusiasm for what it was they were pursuing, he decided to buy that company. And that salesman was Howard Schultz, and that company is Starbucks. Now, those people gave their lives to perfecting coffee. Or, uh, let me give you another illustration from the world of business. Steve Jobs just stepped down this past week as the uh, CEO, the founder of Apple Computer, wildly, wildly successful company, and uh, just a really smart guy and creative guy and entrepreneurial guy and all of that. But he just stepped down because he has uh, cancer and uh, can't put the energy he needs to into it. But he's accomplished much in his career, but he came to a point about 20 years ago, I think it was, where he didn't know what he was going to do with the company. It hit a really rough patch. He didn't know if he could actually, he needed somebody to run it for him. And he actually went after and recruited a guy who had been the president of uh, PepsiCo, John Scully. And Jobs tells the story about meeting with John Scully and selling him on the opportunity. And they determined that he would think about it, they'd get back in a, in a week or so. They got together in uh, Jobs' office, and Scully told him, uh, you know, I've thought about it, I've talked to my family about it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay with PepsiCo. And Job says, you know, I didn't know what to say, and I went over to the window, and I had my back towards Scully, and there was a silence in the room for a while. And then I turned around, and I said to him, so you're going to give your life to selling colored sugar water? And Scully took the apple job <laughs> because he forced him to think about, really, what is the, what is the significance of this all? And we, says Jobs, can change the world. Now, there's a sense in which they've certainly changed the world, the way the world communicates. All the cool gadgets and the iPhones and the iPads and all that stuff. But I, I'm here to just say to you, friends, that Starbucks and Apple have nothing compared to Jesus Incorporated. You see, Starbucks is going to be destroyed. Starbucks will cease, as will my PowerBook and my iPad and my iPhone. Steve Jobs will not be on this earth much longer. And I don't know Steve Jobs' spiritual state, but I can tell you this, he's not going to impress his creator by saying, I invented all these cool things. Because God has placed us here to carry out his business, his dream, not ours. Now, I want to rephrase that to say, actually, he's placed us here to carry out our dream as long as our dream aligns with his. And that's the challenge for you and for me, to say, what is my dream? And for too many of us, our dream is something much, much too small. So dream for a minute. And think about being involved in something 
that displays the glory of Almighty God. (laughs) Well, what does that mean? That's just a churchy phrase. Being involved in something that displays the glory of Almighty God. I mean, I can't do that until I die. And then I'm glorified, and then we're in heaven. Wrong, says the Bible. To him be glory in the church, Ephesians 3.21. It was his intent, as we saw last week, Ephesians 3.10, top of page 6. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be displayed, might be made known. So what if you could be involved in an enterprise to display the glory of Almighty God? Well, what's His glory? His glory is the shining forth of His character. So what do you know about His character? I mean, how do we do that? How can we be involved in in something that shows His character? Well, let's talk about what His character is. The Bible reveals a number of aspects to the character of God. He's he's sovereign, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. Now, those are all things you can't display, and I can't display. So they're in a category that theologians, theologians call the attributes or the character qualities of God's greatness, or the incommunicable attributes of God. That is, the character qualities that nobody else can have. They're in a separate category. They belong to God and God alone. Then there's this whole other separate category called the category of His his goodness, His communicable attributes, things that you and I can display. Ah, The Bible's full of those, isn't it? His mercy and His love and His truth and His compassion. And think about being involved in an entity that is showing the glorious character of God in His compassion, His mercy, His love, His truth, His faithfulness. On it goes. Well, how does that happen? He says it's supposed to be through His church for which He gave Himself. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So how does the church do that? Well, just dream for a moment about a church that, was showing, that shows Christ's character and His compassion and showing His compassion and His mercy to those that are in need, showing His compassion to those that are hurting, to those that are divorced, to those that are grieving, showing His mercy to those who are needy, needy for whatever, showing his truth in the form of of counsel for parents. This is why God gave you those children. This is how God says this is supposed to go. In the form of truth through counsel to, to marriages and couples, to those that are caught in sins and traps that they can't get out of, substance abuse, alcohol, showing his his mercy, his compassion, his truth, showing his love for sinners in general, in whatever category or demographic they fit, teens, or whatever sin they struggle with, an unwed mother, 
a homosexual. Struggling with sin. Imagine being a part of an entity that does that regularly and more. That's the church. You know how long Starbucks lasts? I mean, a cup doesn't last that long, right? Let alone the cup, and the company's not going to last that long either. And Apple has a finite, temporary end date. And everything I just talked about will last forever. And you're going to give your life to something else? Further. To give your life to anything less. And I'm shy and retiring, so I normally am not this blunt. He said sarcastically. But to give your life to anything less is sin. Was I clear? This is what Jesus has put us here for. This is why this church was started as an extension of his church. You say, do we, do we yet have the mercy ministry for, for food for the needy? Or for the unwed mother? Or for the divorced or for the grieving? Do we have that yet? And by the way, I, I'm not, I didn't just make this up this morning. This was the vision I cast 10 years ago for our church. We don't have all of that yet. We don't have many of those things yet. And one of the reasons we don't is because too many people are too busy with things that they think are more important. Am I being straight enough? You see, we can't add to what we're doing until we mature what we're currently doing. Until every person here uses the gifts and abilities that God has given them for the purpose for which he gave them. And then guess what we do? We add mercy ministries and grieving ministries. And we get a, anybody ever heard me use this phrase? I'll be using it at our family meeting this afternoon. A ministry center. That's what I call it, a building. I don't call it the church. Because you know who the church is? It's us. The, the, the building is the center, the ministry center, where ministry takes place, where we get trained to do ministry, where we carry on ministry. So we lease or we buy a ministry center, hopefully by the end of this year. And we populate it with people who have come to Jesus because we're out there telling them, and, show, and not just telling them, showing them the love of Jesus. And we bring them there to carry out the kinds of things that I've talked about. But that only happens when every one of us uses what Jesus has given for the purpose for which Jesus has given it. Now you see the middle of page six? What position do I play? And I want to give you just a couple of principles from Scripture that apply to this issue of every last one of us using what Christ has given for his purpose and nothing less. The Bible teaches that all members are ministers. All members of what? All members of the body. 
The Bible teaches that the body has two aspects to it. It's one body with two aspects. There is this universal aspect to the body of Christ. It is everybody who belongs to Jesus, wherever they are, whatever part of the world, whatever denomination they are. If they truly have come to Christ, they're part of the body of Christ. But most of the time in the New Testament, when the, body, the Scriptures talk about the body, it talks about the, the body assembled, the body in a particular locale, the local body. And that would be places like this. And so all members are ministers. That is, all those who are part of the body of Christ, the worldwide body of Christ, but specifically the local body of Christ. We are all to be members of the body of Christ by virtue of having come to Christ, and then we are baptized into the body by His Spirit, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. when we're saved, when we come to Jesus. And then we become members of a local body of people who've done that to carry out His work. So all members are ministers, and that means if you're not a member of a Bible-believing church that is carrying out that mission, you need to be. And you don't have to be a member of this church. There are other Bible-believing churches, thank God, who are carrying out His mission. So if this is not the one for you, that's okay. But you need to be a member of one of those. And so if you want to know about us, we've got a newcomer's orientation starting in two weeks. And I'll tell you about us. And if it's not us, then it needs to be somebody else. All members of the body of Christ, universal and local, are, and then I say ministers. And the word minister in the New Testament is just the word for servant. It's not a special word for pastors. I said in a sermon a few weeks ago that my dear mom used to love to call me, um, introduce me to her friends as my son is a minister. And that was just the term they used down south for the pastor, the preacher. But it's a misnomer if you think that pastors are ministers and other people are not. In Scripture, we are all servants, that is, ministers. And we all have different roles to play, and certainly I have mine to play, but you have yours to play as well. All members are servants, ministers. How do I know this? Look at what the Scriptures say. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Peter says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, do it as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now we'll look at the rest of these in a minute, but Peter just gets these two categories of gifts, if you speak or if you serve. And if you look at the gift lists in the New Testament, and there are four of them, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Four lists of gifts, and they're different lists. They don't all have the same thing in them. 
So they're just samplings of the kinds of gifts and abilities that God has given. But if you look at those, they can all be put into these two categories that Peter talks about. You're either, you've got a speaking gift or you've got a, a serving gift. A non, you know, they're both technically serving, but one is doing it by speaking and the other by non-speaking service. Now, in most of our churches, most of the play, uh, positions we have for people to serve are in the speaking category. Can you teach Sunday school? Can you teach in the midweek kids? Can you teach something? And then we've got some other stuff, but we got oh, most of it's in this speaking category. Here's the problem with that. Guess where most people's giftedness is? It ain't in the speaking category. Most people would rather die than speak. If a church does not have an infinite, here, an unlimited variety of ministries and potential ministries for people to serve, then it is missing the grand vision for what the church is to be. Our church was designed and, and by God's grace will be by the time I die or I'll die trying. Our church was designed to be what I called 10 years ago and I call now a full service church. That's a play on words, but by full service, I mean it's a church that offers ministry of all types. And it's a church in which everybody is fully serving. A full service church. Now why? Because this is the vision that Jesus, this is the dream Jesus has. And this is what this is what God says, Romans twelve. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And so if a man's gift is prophesying, use it in proportion to his faith. If serving, let him serve. If teaching, let him teach. Encouraging, contributing to the needs of others, leadership, mercy. Again, just a sampling, not to say these are the only gifts there are. The gift four gift lists in the New Testament are not exhaustive. They're not intended to be. They're to be representative. There are just all sorts of things, and God has made us all different for all of us to do in his grand work. Now, all members, then, are to be ministers. And then, top of page 7, each member minister has been uniquely designed by God. So it's not only that there are these different gifts, but that you individually now have been uniquely equipped by God with particular abilities, passions, experiences, and what we need to do is find out how that is. How are you wired? How has the sovereign God made, and then I could call names, but just fit your name in there. And how has God made you, wired you, and given you experiences now to advance his mission through his church? And if a church is serious about that, they'll try to help people figure that out. So we do. And when you leave today, and you walk out those two doors, and then the two doors behind those, Straight behind them, there will be a table. And there will be a white-haired guy who I've called out the last two weeks, those of you that were here. And instead of being at the table I thought he was going to be at, he was serving in some other part of the building. But he's at his table. 
And if you have never seen Ken, whose ministry it is to put you in ministry, then see Ken before you leave. And I'll try to remember to remind you of that in 10 minutes when we leave. And his job is to help you see how God has wired you to place you in his work so that we can pursue Jesus' dream for his church. Every one of us has been uniquely designed by God. Now, friend, that might include the difficult trial that you went through of whatever sort it was. And the sovereign God has uniquely now designed you to help other people. I had a sister write to me in the last couple of weeks. Had a loss four or five years ago and said, I would love to help people who are grieving. And I said, we would love to send you to training in St. Louis for grief care. That's a ministry. To do that very thing. That loss is going to be used by Jesus to help other people who are grieving. Some of you have gone through the pain of divorce. Jesus can use that to help other people and point them to Jesus. He has not been absent in every step that has been taken in your life. And you can be used of him to help other people with eternal consequences. Each one has been uniquely designed by God. That being the case, I mean, if Jesus is really that great, and Jesus really has this eternal ministry, things that will last forever, and it's really better than Starbucks and Apple and my dream vacation and my, the American dream and all the other junk that we give our lives to, if it's really better than all that, how could there ever be a shortage of people standing in line to do that? How could there ever be that? say, man, you beat on this. I mean, can't you get anybody to serve in this church? Like, you have to recruit that hard, really? I don't know what the percentage is right now, but it's something like 70 to 80% of the people in our church serve. I'm not saying this because we have some low percentage of people serving. We have one of the highest percentage of people serving in this church of any church I know of, period. You know when I'll be satisfied? When that percentage is how much? Why? I mean, again, who cares about me? Because Jesus is worth it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, it's not written there for you, but if you care to jot it down, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Verse 58. The chapter has 58 verses. It's a long chapter. And 1 Corinthians 15, most of you know, is the resurrection chapter. So the whole 58 verses are about this issue of the resurrection. And verse 58 concludes by saying this. Therefore, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. That's what it says. Why should I always give myself fully to the work of the Lord? Because he's alive, because he's resurrected. That's why. 
Because he's coming again. And therefore, my labor in him is not empty or futile or vain. Like Starbucks. Like Apple. Like the other junk. Because that's true. Because you believe that. I assume. He's the resurrected Lord. He's coming again. He's alive now. His work will last forever. Therefore, always fully, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because your labor for the Lord is not in vain. There should be people, and I'm, I'm so thankful, 70, 80% of our church is actively involved in God's work. But I've been involved in church work for a long time now, before we started this church. And I've seen the condition of our churches. And I've seen people pursuing other stuff and not caring a whit about the mission of Jesus. There should be people beating the door down to get involved in Jesus' work. But instead, have you ever heard this? Thank God it's not true here. But have you ever heard 20% of the people do 80% of the work in most churches? I heard uh, one illustration that said, uh, you know, the church is like a people going to watch a football game. Where 50,000 people who desperately need exercise are watching 11 people who desperately need rest. And very often that's what the church is like. It's become a spectator sport for too many Christians. Now, how practically does this work for you, and then we'll be done. And we'll conclude our series next week about decision-making. Making decisions in your life in light of the mission. What we have set up here as the ideal for our church is something that Ken, I think, Ken sent around in the last two weeks. An email to most of you if you're on our email list. If you haven't read Ken's email, read it. It's really long, but it's really good. And in it, it says that uh, we have set as a standard, and we think of an extremely reasonable standard for the service for our folks, something we call one and one. Now, what's that mean? One and one. One, what we call rotational ministry. And then one, gifting ministry. Now, what are those? A rotational ministry means just a ministry that you're on the rotation for, you don't have to do any preparation for, and if the rotation is once a month or once every six weeks, you show up and you do it. It's just a task that needs to be done that needs a warm body, and you're a warm body, unless you're physically unable or providentially hindered in some other way, which is the case for some of these. You might be serving in some other area even, so unless any of those things hinder it, then the assumption is everybody who's a member of our church is involved in one rotational ministry. Now, we've got two rotational ministries at our church that are roughly gender-related. Uh, the nursery and the toddlers is pretty much a, a girl thing. Okay, And I'm not trying to be sexist, honest. I'm, I don't think I am. Kimmy, am I? <laughs> no, she said no. Not real convincing, but she said no. 
But, you know, the whole old-fashioned thing, men don't change diapers and all that stuff. I don't believe any of that. I change diapers and all of that, okay? Um, and I won't bore you with all the reasons, but there's, it can work if you have couples and having men serving. Generally speaking, when guests come into a church, they're wondering what that dude is doing in there. I'm just generally speaking. So, ladies, I'm just telling you, it generally falls to the ladies for that ministry. And it's not because we're sexist and we won't refuse to do it. Okay? So we, our ladies are on that rotational ministry. And unless you opt out because you're providentially hindered or whatever weird reason, I mean, there may be some weird thing. You just like, you can't do it. You don't have to explain. You know, that's between you and God. If you can, we assume you will. But that's one rotational ministry for the ladies. For the men, guess what it is? It's setting this joint up every week. And so we have a crew of guys that show up early, and if you're on that rotation, it's once a month or once every six weeks. And you do the stuff, and you don't have to prepare. You just come, you do it, and it's over. Now, that's generally a men's thing unless your name is Bridget Watson. And Bridget is on our rotation, and she does a fine job. And if any ladies want to be on it, you can be on it as well. But generally, it falls to the men. One and one, one rotational ministry, and then one gifting ministry. And this is the ministry to which you give yourself. This is the ministry where you might have to put some time into it. Because God has wired you for this. He's gifted you for this. And that's what Ken can help you with. He can actually help you with both. So Ken, when you walked in just a minute ago, just prior to that I said there will be a white-haired guy at a table. Right? Right outside. And so anybody that needs help and direction on either of those categories, one-on-one, -on -one, rotational and gifting, Ken's the guy to see. All right? Now, we've got to finish in, in two minutes. But I'll conclude by, by asking you this question. What is then, the question that I started with, what is your dream? What's your vision? Is it dreaming about something less than Jesus' dream? And if it is, I'm encouraging you to align your dream with what Jesus cares about. Jesus cares about his glorious character being shown in his world. And his character is represented by his body. He has left his body here to be his body. His physical body departed. But the body of Christ is still here. And we now are his mouthpieces. And his hands. And his feet. And he's called you to be a part of that. It grows and it happens as every member does its work. Ask yourself, friend, am I dreaming about what Jesus is dreaming about? Am I using what Jesus has given for the purpose for which he gave it? If the answer to that is no, see me, see Ken, and we'll help you. And then together, together, by God's grace, we'll have our 10-year anniversary from now, our 20-year. Our 10 years coming up in a month. We'll have our 20-year anniversary. And we'll look back together and we'll see the trophies of God's grace that he's created through the gifting that he has given to this body. Won't that be a marvelous celebration? 
Won't it be a marvelous celebration in heaven? When we stand before Jesus and we say, Jesus, we gave ourselves fully to your work. And here are the trophies that we have, not for us, for you, of your grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Son of God who died for us, who came out of the comfort zone of heaven, the majesty of heaven, stepped down from his kingly throne, took off his royal robe, and was nailed to a cross, naked and beaten for me. Thank you that he is Lord. He is risen. He's alive. He is coming again. He is the master and God and creator of this universe. He deserves, by right of creation and by right of redemption, everything that he has given me to be given for him. Everything that he has given each of us to be used for him. And so we thank you for what he has given us. And now, out of gratitude and out of a desire for the glory of our God, to see his fame spread, to see his glorious character known in this community, we've aligned ourselves as a body and committed to carrying out your work to using what you have given us so that we can be part of the shining forth of your mercy and your compassion and your truth and your love and your faithfulness. Lord God, there are so many who need you. There are so many who need what we have been given. There are so many who need the gifts represented in this room to be activated for the glory of Jesus. Thank you for the church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters. And thank you for the privilege of letting us use what you've given for your glory. Now, Lord, remove lesser things. Fix, help us to fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus looking away from lesser things and, uh, and looking at Jesus as we run the race and lay aside every unnecessary weight in order to achieve that which is lasting and eternal and most precious, the honor and the glory of our God and King. I pray that decisions will be made by brothers and sisters in this room to that effect, to help us move further. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. But Lord, there is so much, so much more ministry to be had. And we want to do it for you. Go with us this week then. As we contemplate these matters, as we think about our lives and what's most important to us, and we ask you, Lord, to bring us back next Lord's Day to be instructed in this final installment of how we're to pursue true happiness in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.